Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, so this week on the show, I chatted with Canyon Woodward, who it's safe to say has accomplished quite a bit for someone still hanging on to their 20s. In addition to being no slouch on the trails himself with a 100-mile wind under his belt, he's also a seasoned political strategist, passionate climate activist, and more recently, a published author. I had Canyon on to talk about where all of his different interests intersect and how they're all related, which rather appropriately is one of the broader themes of Rural Runners, a new film Canyon and his brother Forrest released as a companion piece to Canyon's book, Dirt Road Revival, How to Rebuild Rural Politics and Why Our Future Depends on It, which he co-authored with Maine State Senator Chloe Maxman earlier this year. Canyon's a super interesting dude who clearly does quite a bit of thinking about some pretty important issues while out on his runs, and I think this conversation really reflects that. We cover his childhood growing up on the East Coast, grassroots activism, why rural America has been left behind, how the key to both trail running and politics is mostly about showing up, and a whole lot more. But before we get into that chat, though, I do want to take a quick minute and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all of the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Also, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my chat with Canyon. Canyon, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Stokes to be here. So I want to talk about your book and the film that accompanies it. But first, I really want to get a sense of how you grew up. I feel like we're roughly the same age and you've done so much with your life that like, I'm very curious to hear about like how you were raised and how you got pulled into climate advocacy, politics and trail running, because you've seemed to intertwine all of them together pretty successfully. Oh, that's super generous. Um, I yeah, I mean, let's see, I was born and raised in super rural part of western north carolina in the southern appalachian mountains um kind of right off of the at and yeah i'm the youngest youngest of four four kids and, and two half siblings um rivers forest and autumn are the names of the other ones so the outdoor the outdoor uh theme was was very present in the family parents loved the outdoors and that was a huge huge part of our lives from ridiculous ages like I think I was camping when I was like three weeks old and and yeah just spent a ton of time outside as kids building forts in the woods you know and we were all actually homeschooled my parents were were really big on the idea of experiential education and lifelong lifelong learning okay so you were homeschooled what was that like um it was great honestly i loved it um especially being you know being the youngest of of four um there were there were always resources to go to if i had questions but mostly it, it was just i felt like i had so much autonomy and freedom to explore what i was interested in learning about obviously there were there were 
some requirements, but very minimal. It's pretty much just like make it through this mass textbook by the end of the year and then otherwise <laughs> like dive into whatever you're interested in. So um, that was really cool and just felt, yeah, felt like I had a lot more time on my hands to, to do what I was, what I was interested in. Were you homeschooled through high school? Yeah, I, I technically graduated from high school as a homeschooler. Um, I took some classes at the public high school and the community college in high school. Um, you had to had to take at least two classes to be able to play on sports teams. And, um, so I ran, ran some cross country and played on the tennis team in high school. Cool. And then I know you went to Harvard after that, right? I feel very fortunate. I felt like I found my people from the get-go um and just like the folks in my freshman dorm and my roommates and then the the communities that I found through um climate organizing and the outdoor program um I feel like I yeah just found super solid communities that made it you know the best best experience I could imagine really is that kind of how you got into climate advocacy i guess climate and environmental stuff had always been kind of a part of my general, I don't know, growing up in a family with kids, rivers, forest, and autumn, you know, there's some, right. some sense of the environment baked in, I think by default, um, slightly non-traditional parents. Um, so kind of an environmental ethic, I would say was, was there from a young age. And then the Keystone XL pipeline fight was, was really heating up when I was a freshman. So got involved with that on campus and then Chloe Maxman, who has become one of my best friends and co-conspirator, um, started a campaign to pressure Harvard to divest from fossil fuel companies. Harvard has a massive endowment, something like $40 billion at the time. And Bill McKibben, an awesome writer and environmental advocate, had, had started spurring the idea of, of a fossil fuel divestment movement and so chloe started one on campus and i got involved shortly after and we co-coordinated that together and that was where i really sunk my teeth into organizing tell me about chloe oh man chloe's awesome also from a small town um in rural maine huge curly hair you can't miss her if you see her <laughs> um and just like an absolute absolute visionary i'm always so just like so in awe of her ability to imagine the future and just commit to something and and go for it, even if it seems just like totally out of reach to me. And I've been been really lucky to be able to be able to tag along behind her. But yeah, she's she's a force of nature. So let's get into some of your political dealings uh, with Chloe after college. How did that kind of come about? Yeah. Um, so we'd, you know, we'd spent the better part of our, you know, time in college organizing um, on the divestment campaign. I joke that that was my real education there, but it's not really a joke like that. That's that's where I learned the most valuable valuable skills and. Um, spent so much of my time in college you know we were yeah we, we were part of this growing climate movement nationwide worldwide felt like it was building all kinds of people power but we weren't passing legislation anywhere anywhere close to what we needed 
to confront the climate crisis. And I think as we reflected on on that and why that was, it became really clear is because of our political system specifically. The folks that we have in office and digging down a little bit deeper, looking at, you know, the places that we each come from, super rural communities, and how how the right the drift to the right in in rural areas has has really hampered our ability to have the majorities that we need to to fight for climate issues and and other important issues and um it wasn't like that always you know as you look back as recently as 2009 and the partisan lean of rural areas was was dead even so that kind of analysis in part you know led us into the electoral politics sphere and digging into seeing if we could organize as young young progressives in rural in a, a rural pretty conservative context and you know i should preface that by saying you know i guess we identify more closely with with the democratic party in the in the two party system mostly from you know yeah just feeling like the issues and values align but we have so so many problems with with the Democrats and with with both parties and enough said. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I get you there. Did you already have an interest in politics? Honestly, not really. Um, growing up, I would say it felt very foreign and very far from anything that I ever wanted to really engage with or pictured myself engaging with um, in a serious way. It was really getting involved deeply with organizing work and the fossil fuel divestment campaign and realizing that kind of we have to engage if we're gonna if we're gonna not watch the world burn up essentially um i think you know that was kind of the kick in the butt for me to get more involved even though politics feels like such a toxic toxic thing that i would rather just turn and run away from you know i think the realization that if we if we let it repulse us and check out of the process because of how nasty it is and how many problems there are with it then it just gets worse and we need we need good people to lean into the process and take one for the team <laughs> or maybe we can all start taking taking months for the team and you know and that's how we'll we'll change it and it, and it doesn't have to be this awful awful thing that is so i happened to graduate in 2015 which was right when Bernie was starting his campaign, so I got to hop on his campaign. That was my first job out of college. And, and then not too long after, um, Chloe decided to move back to her hometown in Maine and run for office in 2018. Was that kind of like drinking from a fire hose, like without like a ton of like background in, in politics? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. I was, um, you know, I'd never even phone banks before or canvassed. And it was, yeah, it was Drinking from my hot fire hoses is an apt analogy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like so I vote and I try and stay abreast of like most major political issues. But let's say I wanted to get like more involved. What are some kind of like practical steps to take? Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, I think, um, you know, recognizing that we're coming up on Election Day right now, um, you know, one of the most impactful things that folks can do in this little stretch in the lead up to the election is just volunteer their time for some door-to-door canvassing with campaigns, especially if there's, you know, a state level or local candidate 
in your area. Um, the that was the basis of our whole campaigns was going door to door, having face to face conversations with folks, um, and it makes such a huge, huge difference. And especially in yeah, in the final stretch of the campaign, and then beyond that, I mean. There's so much potential in organizing if, you know, especially locally, like if there are other like-minded folks and, and you all have a vision for for things at the county level or the state level, just to come together and, and put creative minds in a room together and come up with, you know, map out who, who the key decision makers are and, and what their stances might be and who who key allies are and then just begin begin organizing around something i think that's where that's where a lot of the true magic happens isn't that really grassroots local stuff so speaking of uh the upcoming uh, election day what are some issues and races that you are particularly focused on we come at this so much from a rural perspective so really looking at how democrats are or are not reaching out to rural areas um and you know Doing that through the, the face-to-face is really what's most important. And so I think the Democratic Party writ large on a national level still still has just like so much ingrained um, kind of like just like a sense of giving up on, on rural areas. Like, you know, you're <laughs> dumb and ignorant and going to vote against your own interests no matter what. So we're not even going to bother wasting resources on you. We're just going to try and squeeze every vote that we can out of the cities and the suburbs uh, you know the chair of dnc in 2018 said you can't knock doors in rural america and he walked walked that statement back but um i think that was super revealing of just kind of the ingrained party party mindset but then there's also you know you look at like john fetterman in pennsylvania is is really exciting to me um he is you know going to every every county and I think reaching rural voters in in a way that they haven't in Pennsylvania in a while. Um, and then folks that just come from the organizing vein, like Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who's who's running for governor there and did so much to, to win those two US Senate seats in um, in twenty twenty. And Beto in Texas, he's going He's going county to county, way out into every part of, of Texas with a similar strategy. Um, so those those are some of the, the campaigns that excite me. Before we move into maybe a discussion about uh, Dirt Road Revival, uh, I'm curious like what you are doing right now with your time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm home basing out of North Carolina again, which feels really good being back home. And working on building a little 12 by 12 pottery studio, uh, dig into, into my pottery. And yeah, Chloe and I just started a 501c4 nonprofit to, called Dirt Road Organizing. And that's where, that's where the bulk of my professional quote unquote time is going. Um, it's the starting that, building out the vision and strategy and board of directors. And the hope is to be able to support folks doing rural organizing work all over the country. All right, let's uh, go back a few years to kind of Dirt Road Revival. How did that project come together? Yeah, so Dirt Road Revival, how to rebuild rural politics and why our future depends on it is the name of the book. Um, It came out in May and it's 
I guess it's uh, it's broken up into three parts. The first part is a little bit more historical, like how did we get here in terms of the polarization and the the huge rightward drift in rural America, um, and then the the second part is the story of our campaigns in 2018 and 2020. In 2018, Chloe ran for state house in a district, her home district where she grew up, um, that had a 16-point Republican advantage over the past three election cycles, and um, she managed to win it. Um, I moved up there and managed managed her campaigns, and it was a huge learning experience, obviously. She'd never run for office before. I'd never managed a campaign. It was yeah, drinking, <laughs> drinking from the fire hydrant, as you say. And then in 2020, she got recruited to take on the highest ranking Republican in the state. She challenged the Republican Senate minority leader and won that seat, became the youngest female ever elected to the state Senate in Maine. And yeah, so that's kind of the middle of the book is digging into those journeys. Um, and then the last three chapters are lessons learned that um, that we hope can be applicable to folks doing this work in any rural area of the country. What was it like to be uh, a first-time campaign manager? Like, I'm, I'm curious, like, what that actually entails. I know it's, like, <laughs> I'm sure a ton of work, but, like, on a practical level, what were you doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it varies depending on on the campaign and, you know, how, what, what level it's at, if it's a local race or a state or federal federal race for us um it was this you know state house and state senate seats we didn't have didn't have a huge budget to work with so we weren't for the most part we weren't able to hire other staff so it was pretty much just me me and chloe and then a beautiful beautiful community of volunteers um doing everything um so yes i mean it was everything from sketching out the budget and and managing finances to you know coming up with door knocking strategy doing doing a ton of really deep dives into data trying to figure out which which voters to most prioritize our our resources especially chloe's time to go door to door and talk to coordinating volunteers and getting folks signed up to to go in canvas um figuring out how to do a direct mail campaign and <laughs> learning graphic design on the fly and yeah getting all of our all of our mailers printed and sent out coordinating ads and making campaign videos and radio advertisements um it sounds like an ultra <laughs> yeah eating eating a little bit of everything <laughs> yeah were you running a ton back then i i was i was i would say i was just starting to get get really into it yeah 20 spring of 2018 was my first hundred miler um soon like pretty soon after i'd moved up to maine um did it did it with my older brother forrest um and then and then trained for another big one spring of 2019 um so yeah i was i was getting into it let's talk a little bit about your older brother forrest for a sec because yeah, let's. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a huge fan of his work. Can you give me a little bit of a bio? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh man, how to sum it up? Um, let's see. Yeah, Forrest. He's seven years older than me. Well, he's a photographer and filmmaker. Um, yeah, he just just went back to school to to deepen deepen his craft and dive back into some black and white photography. Um, 
and and his writing. He's such an incredible writer. Um, but he's yeah, he's been you know he's been a filmmaker for for a number of years. Um, a regular at, at Mountain Film and doing doing work for brands like Patagonia and and whatnot. And just a really incredible storyteller. And I know that he directed Rural Runners, which is the film that came out pretty recently that's kind of like a companion piece to Dirt Road Revival, right? Yeah. Tell me about how that, like how a film was a logical extension of the book. They really came together fairly organically. Um, they, they weren't really planned together, but Forrest, Forrest just had a vision. He didn't, he didn't have any funding for it or anything, but he just felt like there was a story to tell. And he came up during during the campaigns and did a lot of filming and just yeah created created this really beautiful little short it's it's 28 minutes long and it's yeah rural runners is meant to kind of blend the um the themes of running campaigns running for office and and running trails and so it's kind of kind of a mix of life on the campaign trail and and trying to do politics in a different way and then and then diving deep into running Say more about that. What are kind of like the overlaps that that you've experienced? Um, I mean, I would say one of the big ones for me is um, that they just really feed feed off of one another in terms of um, each each one allows me to go more fully at the other. I would say like running really keeps me in touch with myself and my soul, and you know I feel like helps keep me a happy, happy, healthy individual even amidst the intense intense turmoil of a campaign during an election year and the inevitable risk of burnout that comes with you know working 24 7 just pouring all of yourself into something i feel like getting to go out and run and just ground myself and and connect with myself and be in nature in that way was really important to having the long distance endurance for organizing um and then vice versa you know i think for me if you know if i was only spending all of my time running i would feel i would feel a big hole i would feel like something is missing and um having having the organizing work is something that feels really meaningful in, in my life um and and so having yeah having that as a foundation i feel like really opens me up to to get more out of running as well so I, I mean, obviously you grew up pretty outdoorsy, but when did you start really kind of like focusing on trail running? I would say it wasn't really until, well, my my cross country coach was an is an awesome ultra runner. She does like hundred hundred plus miles stuff on the reg. Um, so that was the first time my eyes were opened to that world. And I dabbled a little bit um, in college, trying trying some fifty k's. Um, but it wasn't really until like 2016, 2017 that I started started running more consistently. Did you have like some pretty immediate success? Just because I, I did some uh, ultra sign up stalking and I'm like, oh, damn, like this guy's not just like a, a recreational runner. Like you won Cruel Jewel earlier this year, which is arguably one of the toughest hundred milers in the country. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I yeah i i had some some success from the get-go and just like you know pretty pretty local local regional races down here um so tell me about like the east coast running scene from from where you're from uh 
I think that like every East Coast runner I've met is so much like grittier than people I meet out here on the West Coast. Uh, <laughs> why do you think that is? Yeah, we definitely don't have the buffed out switchbacks. Um, that, that makes things harder. Uh, um, some definitely some rugged trails and terrain. Um, I love, I, I think it's an incredible scene out here, especially in the Southeast. It's amazing running all year round, you know, in the winter, in the winter time. Um, if it snows that it doesn't stick around for too long and, um, we're right, right on the edge of the great smoky mountains national park, which has all kinds of trails and the Appalachian trail. And, um, there's a really, yeah, there's a really growing, growing culture of trail running. Um, some folks like Aaron Saff in, in Asheville who, um, he created Hellbender 100, which is a phenomenal race. And, um, yeah, we've got the cruel jewel. 100 that you mentioned um and it's yeah it's a it's a sweet scene i I really love it yeah i imagine it's like super seasonal as well at least where i am like in the bay area there's like one season and it's mainly just foggy uh (laughs) and i'm wondering like how your running changes um kind of like as the year goes on because do you guys get a ton of snow down there yeah we don't we don't get it a whole lot down here it'll usually snow maybe a half dozen times a year and it'll melt off pretty quick most of the time um but yeah every season is so different it's um it's actually a temperate rainforest here where where i am um and so in the summertime it's just like a jungle (laughs) um it's beautiful and um so many creeks and rivers and swimming holes and and I love that aspect of it. And then fall is absolutely gorgeous right now. Looking out at just unbelievable color in the mountains. And then winter is totally different. Everything opens up and, you know, all these old networks of logging roads through the mountains and, and whatnot that are completely overgrown in summertime open up. And there's just like these whole new realms to explore through the winter. Um, it's, it's really neat. You said you've been running a ton uh, kind of recently. Uh, I imagine you took a, a bit of a, a, a down period after you ran UTMB this year, right? Um, a, a little bit. A lot less than I have in the past, I would say. I would say my, my MO after hundreds before was the, you know, take four or six months to kind of just go really easy and recuperate. But I'm feeling like I'm recovering a lot more quickly now. So took a few weeks down, but getting back after it. <laughs> yeah. What was uh, UTMB like? Was that your first time running it? That was my first time running it, and it was such a cool experience. Made made a trip out of it with Forrest. Um, we went over there for, for two and a half weeks, and I'm part of a, a running club, the Green Racing Project, and, and they they paid for me to, to get over there and for lodging, which was super, super amazing, making it, making it possible. Um, and God, UTMB. It's just a scene. Uh, have you been? Have you been over there? No, but I've I've heard so many stories of people saying the exact same thing. <laughs> I think next year is the year I, yeah. I I finally make the voyage. Sweet. I hope to see you over there. I would I would love to go back. It's just yeah, people go crazy for it. It's nothing like trail running in the U.S. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it feels like the Tour de France or something. Um, you know you're. It starts at 6 p.m. and you're just running through village after village of 
folks lining the streets for miles and miles cheering. Um, there's so much energy around it. That's really fun. How did UTMB play out for you? Because you, I know you finished in 48th place, which is like <laughs> very stout. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, you know, it was, yeah, I felt like I, I held my own. I, I had had bigger aspirations. I was hoping I could do it in 24 hours, maybe, maybe even 23, and came in just over 25. And definitely feel proud of that, happy happy about it um i didn't feel like didn't feel like it was my day um but it was an incredible learning experience and yeah i you know got to battle through some things like puking for the first time during an an ultra and feeling like i wasn't gonna be able to finish when that's just feeling nausea with with every step and pushing pushing through that one step at a time until that passed and and being able to to finish really strong um and yeah um you know it's just it's a hard it's a hard steep course with unbelievable amount of climbing and descent i think the steep descents were were what took me usually usually the the downhills my bread and butter being able to run it even at mile 100 or what have you and um yeah for whatever reason, the this course just just really did a number on my quads. <laughs> yep, yeah, that'll do it. Um, where did you train for it? Um, mostly, mostly in North Carolina. Um, yeah, spent a little bit of the summer out west in North Cascades. Are you able to get kind of like the vert you need for a race like that uh, on the East Coast? Um, yeah, I think so. I didn't i probably didn't do the best job of <laughs> seeking that out uh i think i think it yeah it's certainly there to be had with um with the mountains around here you can get some really sustained pretty pretty steep um uphills and, and downhills but um that wasn't a huge focus of of my training which in retrospect i think i would do differently next time what did you end up doing in the north cascades i love that area it's uh, just like for like three months out of the year, I I don't think I'd want to be anywhere else. Yeah, I was super lucky that we went out there with the family for two months in 1998 to this little village called Stahican that's at the remote end of a long lake. There's no no roads there. You, it's just a three hour boat ride, and um, we ended up staying there for four and a half years, um, going going to the little. K through eighth grade one room schoolhouse for a couple of grades and um it's such a beautiful place that has a, a really special place in my heart. Yeah. I've I've been to Stahican because uh I hiked the PCT in twenty eighteen, which I'm sure our audience is sick of hearing me say. Uh, <laughs> but I took took the ferry out there and did some damage at the bakery, which is yeah. phenomenal. World class bakery. Unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah. And I think at least this year, it seems like did Washington mainly dodge fire season? I know there's been quite a bit up there yeah, recently, I mean, but yeah, there, um, for the most part, it was, it was one of the better, better summers that I can remember in that area. Yeah. What else do you have coming up this year race wise? Um, I've got a local race coming up called the shut in in Asheville here the first week in november and then um a little bit tbd from there i like i said i'd love to make it back to utmb um 
Uh, I'm thinking of doing Bandera beginning of January down in Texas. Um, but yeah, need to sit down and sketch sketch things out. So Bandera is a golden ticket race. Do you have ambitions to to run Western states one day? I mean, I would certainly love to. I don't <laughs> I don't know that I have a, a golden ticket in me at the moment, but I'm I would love to, you know. Yeah, I would love to go out and and do some of the golden ticket races and, you know, put myself in in that kind of field and and um and see yeah, see how it goes. Um I I would love to do Western states at some point. I I yeah, I wish that I wish that there were more spots for um, for qualifying for for it, and that we had more of a UTMB style race celebration in in the U.S. where you know where it's not just the couple of dozen uh, men and women that that can qualify, but that we can could get a huge huge field of you know of of fast runners, but we're not not there yet. <laughs> yeah, I think that sentiment is felt by. Uh by a number of people, I'm sure. Before I get you out of here, I'm curious uh, about the actual riding process of Dirt Road Revival. Um, what did that look like? Do you have a, a background in riding and what are kind of your influences? It looked like a whole lot of waking up at about 4 a.m. on the days of deadlines and panic riding. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've always kind of loved riding. Um, worked with an amazing writing teacher in, in Stahican who I kept in touch with by email throughout high school after we'd moved back to North Carolina. Um, she had a huge, huge impact on me. Um, yeah, it's always, always been something that I enjoyed. Um, the book, we had a pretty short timeline to get her done. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of panic writing, but that's, that's how I write best. I relate so hard to a Calvin and Hobbes strip that is something along the lines of, um, <laughs> you can't just turn on creativity like a faucet. It requires the right conditions. What conditions are those? Last minute panic. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely, definitely resonate with that. But I was, yeah, I was living, living back here in the mountains, didn't have access to uh, cell service or internet at home, which was, I would say, optimal conditions for writing. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. What are your, some of your favorite kind of writers to follow uh, these days? Um, Rob McFarlane is is one of my favorites. He wrote Landmarks, which is phenomenal, and Underland. Um, I think he's based in the UK, but just a really, really phenomenal nature writer. Um, Adrian Marie Brown is is a phenomenal um, student of social movements and just complex complex human systems who I really resonate with. Um, Bill McKibben, always one of the greats. Um, yeah, Naomi Klein. Yeah, those are favorites. some heavy hitters. <laughs> Heck yeah. So we know what you have next running wise. What's next for you life wise, professionally? Yeah, I would say, you know, mostly, mostly working on certain dirt road organizing. Um, this, this C4 work, Chloe and I are really, really excited about it. And it's been such a good journey already of getting to connect with so many people and organizations all over the country that are 
doing really good, impactful work in rural communities. Um, and really excited to, to dig deep into that. Um, and if folks are interested in, in seeing the film Rural Runners, um, it's on that website. If you go to dirtroadorganizing.org, you can, you can see the whole film there. Are you touring it? Um, yeah, a bit. We just partnered up with Protect Our Winters, which is an awesome climate advocacy group, and um, did a tour out, out in Utah and Colorado that we just got back from. Um, we're going to be screening it at the Patagonia store in Boulder, October 26th, I think, Wednesday, coming up. Um, and we're, you can, folks can also request um, grassroots screenings and organize uh, a screening either virtually or in person in their community. And, and Chloe and I can Skype in or, or what have you to, to talk about activism. Um, in your community very much in the spirit of the film itself i like that Heck yeah. Um, <laughs> my my last question is uh having served as a campaign manager for several years would you ever consider running for office Ooh, that's <laughs> you said no gotcha questions i'm just kidding that's <laughs> uh, great it's um oh that's a super valid question i you know my preference would be not to, um, for a lot of selfish reasons. <laughs> um, I think I, I value being able to, uh, you know, eat some mushrooms and go and skinny dip at the local swimming hole and not have to worry too much about <laughs> people getting in my business. Uh, but I do think that, you know, we really need, we need good folks willing to run for office. So I wouldn't say a universal no in the way that, I always did before, but um, I think my skill set is more suited to um, supporting other folks running. And that's that's what I feel most excited to do. <laughs> that's a very political answer. <laughs> no, uh, I'll keep my eye out for your name on on the ballot in a couple of years, maybe. All right, I'll keep my eye out for yours as well. Would you ever <laughs> <All> consider <right>. it? <laughs> oh man, probably not. I think I. Uh, I share the same kind of perspective you do. I think like, yeah, like this conversation has definitely like inspired me to go out and, and, and organize for sure. Knock on some doors. Heck yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, I would say to, to everyone listening, think about running for office. It is, you know, it's, it's demanding. It takes a lot, but even if it's, you know, local school board, county commissioner, or something bigger like, you know, state legislature or, or national. It's one of the biggest ways that we can have an impact. And I think especially for, you know, this is one of the things that we explore in the film is like for Chloe and I, major imposter syndrome going in. Um, and, you know, we didn't know how to do any of it. But once you get in it, you realize that like, I think to paraphrase Michelle Obama, the people in the room are not that smart. I've been in all of the rooms, <laughs> um, you know, like it's, it's way more accessible than you would think. And yeah, we need more, more good people doing it. I think that's a great spot to end, end the conversation. Um, hopefully yeah. the first of several, but thanks. Uh, thanks for chatting with me. Heck yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. That's it for this edition of off the couch. Thanks to Canyon for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. 
And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.